I think what people need to realize is that part of your journey, you're going to have to make some sacrifices and there will be a period of time where it's not going to be easy. But through that process, you then understand the why. We're in a society where social media does a really good job of you know, sheltering or showing this facade that you don't need a struggle, you don't need a challenge. Everything's beautiful, you know, everything's perfect. That's a, that's a huge disservice to, to society. You need to go through uh, discomfort in order to grow. The enemy within me was a fear. You know, the fear of not taking that first step. This is Jesus Gonzalez. You're listening to the Enemy Within You podcast. You're listening to Enemy Within You podcast that exposes the subtle ways we work against ourselves. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'm here to help you combat your negative patterns by sharing stories, ancient wisdom, and good old common sense. So by all means, go get a cup of coffee ready, and let's talk about life. Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Spring is right around the corner. The trees are growing their leaves. If you live in colder weather like I do, then it's starting to get warmer. And, you know, April showers have been happening, at least where I live. And I like them. I honestly do like gloomy days. There's something about a rainy day, like a cloudy gray day, that makes me feel cozy but productive at the same time. It's weird. Now, before we get into today's episode, I do want to say that I feel like since I've switched to a bi-weekly production schedule for the podcast, in other words, since I decided to just publish an episode every two weeks instead of every week, I feel like the podcast is like a friend that I used to see all the time and then I haven't seen in a while. But every time we get together, it's a good time. (laughs) You know what I mean? I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how it feels where we pick back up where we last left off. Now, that's not the case for all of you, though, because some of you are on Coffee Talk. And that is somewhere where I do connect every week like I used to on the podcast. Now, why do I tell you this? I'm telling you this because it's my roundabout way of just saying, I kind of miss you. And so I, I just hope that you enjoy today's episode because I enjoy producing these things for you. All right, all right. So enough of all of that. Let's get into the episode. Today, you're going to listen in on a conversation I had with my dear friend, Jesus Gonzalez. Now, Jesus is someone I met a few years ago before the pandemic Uh, before all chaos broke loose by COVID, at a place called Fuel Cafe. Thursday nights was my writing day. I used to go there, post up with my laptop. I used to sip on some coffee or maybe a beer. And in turn, I just met a lot of interesting people. Well, Jesus was one of those people. Now, at the time, Jesus had just opened a food truck called Mazorca Tacos. And he positioned it in a way where he sold tacos that were made with handmade tortillas. 
Now fast forward to a year later, and then he co-founded Socalo Food Park, which is the first food park in Wisconsin. Now in that process, he also runs a commissary kitchen, and he's also an investor in the semi-new startup called Cash Drop, which is a mobile app that enables businesses to create and manage an online storefront straight from their phone. Did you get all of that? (laughs) Clearly, Jesus, since the day I met him, has grown exponentially. So I thought that he would be an excellent person to bring onto the podcast and to discuss his journey and how he has been able to grow every year. But here's the thing. You might think that I would ask him about his early days in business or how did he start Socalo or when did he decide to invest and all these array of business questions. But I didn't because I'm more interested in how he set himself up to seize those kind of opportunities. And in order for us to learn that, we have to dig into his past. We have to dig in to before the businesses, before the investment, before all of his projects. And so I had kind of an advantage because I interviewed Jesus for another project named Authentic Pivots. Now, Authentic Pivots is a docu-series about accomplished entrepreneurs in Milwaukee. And if you haven't seen an episode, you can just go to AuthenticPivots.com and check it out. He's featured in one of the episodes that we are actually still kind of composing. So I had kind of a little bit of an advantage. One of the things I know about Jesus is that he left to New York. And it seems that he came back from New York a different person. Not in essence but more evolved. And so that's precisely what I wanted to talk to Jesus about. And I wanted him to share any insight he had about his experiences while he was away from his hometown, which is Milwaukee, Wisconsin, away from his family, away from everything he was familiar with. What happened that set him up for success when he came back and got to business? So without further ado, Enjoy the interview with my good friend and food entrepreneur, Jesus Gonzalez. All right, Jesus, welcome to the Enemy Within You podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on, man. Luis, thanks for the invitation, man. It's been it's been a while. What's going on? What's what were you talking about today? <laughs> well, we're gonna talk about your journey, your journey to New York City. See how you made a ruckus over there and you brought it back with you to Milwaukee. <laughs> that's great. No, yeah, let's, let's get into it. So I thought a good place for us to start is with you telling me about this incident having to do when someone sort of betrayed you when you were in the process of building Masorca. Yes, I mean... <laughs> So I mean, for for our listeners, you know, Masorca is a it's a it's a food it's a food truck, right? It's a it's a food concept that I started off in 2017. Uh, I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm first generation Mexican American. My parents come from a small farming community uh, in the state of Jalisco, and uh, you know, grew up in Milwaukee. I pursued uh, the culinary arts out in the East Coast. And when I came back home, I wanted to start a business. I was afraid of going to the bank and taking out a loan. You know, I didn't want to start a, a business being in debt. And so 
I was realistic and I said, okay, what can I really do with, with the amount of money that I have saved up over the last couple of years? And that's when I decided to buy a trailer. And, you know, I, I did some research, looked on Craigslist, you know, I was comparing pricing. And I, I drove down to Kalamazoo, Michigan with my, my brother, my cousins, and uh, we bargained a great deal. And we came back home with a trailer. It's a vintage, like, 1950 trailer. I don't know how we made it home, but we did. And, you know, I was, I was, I was new to the game, right? I was so naive. And I kind of miss, I, I miss being in that state where you think everything is going to be okay, you know? And you believe that everyone is interested in helping you see, you know, they're all, they're all invested and want to see you succeed, genuinely, right? I encountered this gentleman who was, we're not going to name, we're not going to name him, but he, he offered me this great deal to help me, you know, build out my, my food trailer. Being new to the game, I, 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 I trusted him with more than I should have. Through this experience, I learned so much and I'm glad it happened so early on. But, you know, long story short, you know, the gentleman, you know, was constantly asking me for, you know, large sums of money up front. And I was like willing to do it because I was excited. I wanted to get my trailer done. And I started noticing that time was, you know, going by and I wasn't seeing any progress on my trailer. And I remember going to home, like I'd, I'd go visit him at his shop and coming home and being like, and my parents were always asking me like, hey, how's it going? There was times where I would like, I would lie to them about it. I'd say, oh yeah, there's great progress, you know, because I didn't want them to worry about it. You know, this was, this was my responsibility. I wanted to try this out. So, you know, I had to deal with all the, you know, consequences of going through this process. But it got to a point where I was like, man, this guy is definitely, you know, something's up. I keep, you know, giving him money. I'm not seeing any progress on my trailer. It was unfortunate. You know, I had, uh, I had lost some money, but I had to realize that I had to, I had to be empathetic towards this person to understand where he's coming from and to figure out, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to get this trailer done? Because at the end of the day, we need it done so we can start making tacos. And so, you know, finding ways to, to listen to him, understanding what his current situation was, that allowed me the ability to like figure out, okay, well, this is the plan as to how we're going to move forward and get that trailer complete. So it was definitely experience. Uh, I'll never forget it. Yeah. But uh, it was definitely interesting. So th- did he end up building trailer for you? He did. He actually did. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was the only guy that I knew that could build trailers at the time. Will you be able to share what his situation was? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, there's this, there's this saying, I don't know if it's in Spanish or in English, but I can't think of the saying right now, but I, the, the lesson learned from that saying is like, it's better, it's better to work with someone that you, you know, all his flaws than working with someone that you don't even know at all. You know what I mean? So like knowing his flaws helped me manage him to get the work done. But, you know, he had a few issues back at home. Uh, he was going through a divorce, had some legal, some legal problems. Was there maybe a substance abuse problem there? Probably. Yeah. So it was unfortunate. He was a great worker. He has a great work ethic. You know, he has, he's knowledgeable, but just had a lot of issues outside of work. Was this uh, agreement in a contract or was it just a gentleman's handshake? You know, it started, it started off with a gentleman's handshake, but then he kept asking for money. And so I had to put some sort of uh, document together to help secure my investment. <laughs> 
it's sad, right? I mean, you'd think that people would be more, will have more integrity, especially if they're doing business, but I mean, that's just the world and that's why contracts exist. Well, thanks for sharing, Jesus. I'd like to start, I'd like to really unpack your journey to New York because the way I have it understood is you're a Southside kid from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and at some point in your life, you decided to go to New York, and then you came back and you started a lot of businesses uh, or a couple of businesses that have been successful and known here in the Milwaukee area. So I would like to focus this interview to just really understanding that trip to New York, what happened there, and what brought you back. So a good place for us to start would probably be, why did you decide to move to New York? Right, okay. No, that's great. That's a great, that's a great uh, place to start. You know, I think in order to understand the why, like why I moved to New York, it's important to kind of like paint the picture of what was going on in Jesus's world you know, he was 17 years old, or even like before then, like growing up, your adolescent, you know, teenage years are so important for your development. You know, you're, that's when you're starting to be very curious. You want to explore. But being the youngest of three in a uh, Mexican family household, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, restrictions or a lot of, uh, there's a lot of guidance at home. And so I was listening to a lot of what my parents wanted me to become, Versus, you know, and not them asking me like, hey, what would you like to do? So education was so important for my parents because, you know, they didn't, they didn't have access or the opportunity to, to, to seek education where they came from in Mexico. And so for them, in their view, you know, being a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, that's the only route to success. For me, someone that I, I consider myself an entrepreneur, you know, there isn't, you know, it's not very linear. It's, it's about exploring. It's about experiencing moments. And bringing all that together and then identifying, you know, what it is that you want to devote your life to. And so my path is a little different than, than most people. They couldn't, I guess, like grasp that, right? You know, for them, it was like you have to go to a four-year college, attend college, graduate, go get a job, and so on and so forth, right? So, yeah, it was a little challenging. Even letting them know, hey, listen, you know, yeah, I'm exploring, you know, the culinary world. It seems fun. You know, it's creative. It allows me to, to use my creativity, and so all that just made me realize, you know, I think I was in my junior year of high school when everyone's like looking for colleges. I was like, there's no way I'm staying in Milwaukee. Secondly, I was like, I, I, need, to, I need to move away. I think moving to, to New York and going into a culinary school is just going to put me in the right spot to just further and broaden just like my horizon. You know, I just really, I was curious about many things and I feel like this is the spot that's going to challenge me in the way that I need to be challenged. So thinking about moving to New York, it was scary. I'll, I'll be completely honest. I mean, it's, there's a lot of fear in that. You know, I was the youngest. I had never, you know, been away from home. I always traveled with my parents. Being the youngest, you're always kind of, you're babied a little bit, you know, by your, by your siblings, by your aunts, your uncles. But I realized that if I didn't take this, if I didn't take this leap now, when would I do it then? I knew that even though it, it scared, it scared me, I had to, you know, throw myself out there. You're probably asking, like, well, why New York out of all the places? All of the people that I looked up to in the industry, they were all coming out of New York. And so I was like, man, I have to go where these people are, are working, where they're going to school. So I was like, let's go. Let's do this. I remember telling my parents, I was like, hey, I, I want to go to New York. And they were just like, oh, you're not. You're not going to New York. 
that's no way. So I had to, you know, convince my, my, my siblings first, get them to understand my vision so that they can help me spread the word with my parents. But uh, it was definitely, it was interesting. It was cool. I mean, it was a beautiful experience, like having them take me to New York. It was the first time there. And before we went up to, my school was up uh, upstate New York. And so it's like about an hour and a half up the Hudson River. So we, we spent a few days in New York City, kind of like, you know, getting to know the new landscape. But it was cool to see my parents experiencing that. Um, that was a lot of fun. Sounds like you were already selling even before you went to New York. You were already hustling, getting buy-ins from your siblings to, to eventually <laughs> outnumber your parents and <laughs> to influence. Listen, so, yeah, well, listen, we, so growing up, in, uh, we went to grade school at St. Lawrence here in Milwaukee. And every year they do like chocolate sales. And that's how we would get our bikes. You know, our, our mom would have us like, you know, you know, help, you know, raise money for our school by selling these chocolates. And then if you sold like an X, you know, let's say, uh, I think it was like 200 bars or 500 bars, you would get a bike. And that's how all of my siblings got their bike was through that damn fundraiser, hustling chocolates outside of El Rey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. <laughs> That's good. So something you said was that you went against the grain with your parents and kind of their mindset or their hopes of how they saw your future would pan out through kind of a traditional path of going to school, becoming an engineer, a lawyer, a, you know, some kind of higher education degree that would eventually lead you to having a title maybe, not so much entrepreneurship or owning a business. At what point in your childhood, because you said you moved at 17 years old, at what point did you start to see that you were having this entrepreneurial itch and you realized that you were starting to think differently than the people around you or just your family? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, entrepreneurial itch, you know, I got that early on, you know, I, and I, you know, going back to that example of hustling chocolate bars to raise money for our school at a young age, you know, I learned how to, how to try to connect with customers so they can buy that chocolate bar because I knew I wanted that bike. So early on, it was, it was put in practice, that exchange of goods. I don't know. I've, I've, we've always been involved in like art classes, dance classes, sports, so I feel like all those experiences, you know, meshed together, kind of created, you know, the way I think. You know, I, I just, I, I like creating, whether it's experiences, I like creating, whether it's uh, products. It's, it's fun, you know, I enjoy working with creatives. I love working in teams. You know, being able to be in a room with people who are experts in their fields and that collaborative component of, of a business, like, I feed off of people's energy. It's awesome. Like, I enjoy it the most. You know, the pandemic has been really hard because you can't work with people. You know, you're isolated. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's, it's definitely my upbringing uh, that has, you know, helped shape the entrepreneur that I am today. What exactly do you like about working with creatives and what role do you normally play through that? What I enjoy the most is, like, on hearing people's perspective. You know, I think that's the most valuable thing about 
humans is that we all bring a different perspective and when you that it just it opens up a whole new world when you hear people's perspectives and you understand it I mean it just you have so many like possibilities of what you can create or the solutions you can come up with uh when you get, you know, when you get a room full of people that, that bring perspective, you know, something that I, I find myself doing in, in some of these, you know, in these sessions is help facilitate those conversations is being a really good listener and being curious about people's perspective, showing them that, hey, what you're sharing is very interesting and you are bringing a lot of value. And so it's about, you know, challenging them as well. And figuring out what is the best solution to the problem that we're trying to solve. Yeah, and I can vouch for that. I I've witnessed Jesus just facilitate, but also inspire and empower people to carry on their vision and carry it carry it out in a way that people feel good about it. And I'll tell you something to that point is maybe I became a really good listener because maybe growing up. I wasn't listened to, you know, like maybe, you know, there's been many times where, you know, I had these crazy ideas and, you know, when you had the crazy ideas, people kind of shut you down and they go for like the more conventional, the, the safe, you know, the safer, uh, they go for the safer route, you know? And so I guess I'm proving to myself that some of these crazy ideas that I had is that's what I'm doing. That's, that's the route I'm following. And, you should never tell someone, hey, that's a crazy idea. Let's not listen to that. Let's move on. And so I've just been in that situation where I'm used to people not listening to me. But that's okay. I don't, I don't need you necessarily to listen to me. I'm going to keep moving forward. You know, I'm going to keep pushing myself. So I really can't take all the credit for becoming a good listener. I had to thank all those people that, I guess, didn't listen to me growing up. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it does. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean, there's a lot of people, I mean, even in just in my life, I could tell you they had this one perception of me, but it's because they didn't know me. And it turns out that as I grew and let's just say that anyone who knew me 20 years ago, 15 years ago would be surprised, even just at the fact that I'm doing a podcast or that I have a business or that I didn't turn out in jail or with like five baby mamas, you know? <laughs> right, right. So. And you, you, listen, and that's, it's scary because a lot of those people that don't have the time to listen to crazy ideas are the ones that are in these high, you know, positions of power. And so, you know, it, it is definitely scary, but that's, that's changing. That's definitely changing. Well, yeah, I mean, we have you in Milwaukee leading the food scene. <laughs> no, man, not at all. <laughs> so if we go back to this trip to New York, you said that your family goes and takes you there. You guys have a wonderful experience. They leave and you stay. Now what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I will never forget that moment. You know, my mom, you know, obviously giving me her, her last bendición, her blessing, right? And I was like, oh, like, wow, like my parents, I'm, I'm alone. They're gone. And now I have to really own up to what I said I'm going to do. And I, you know, I, I have a lot of people back home that I can't let down. You know, there's also a lot of people back home who thought maybe this wasn't the best idea. And so, you know, there was definitely some weight on my shoulders as to like, okay, 
you definitely got to put in the work now, Jesus, because you said this was the right move, so you have to prove it to them. When you were in New York, how long did it take you to acclimate there? At what point did you feel like, you know what, I'm in a good rhythm of things. I'm part of this ecosystem that makes New York, New York. Right. You know, I think for the first, uh, I'd say the first year, you know, I, I was still, I was still the kid, you know, I was still the kid that was, you know, I, I was still a little afraid, you know, so afraid. And I wasn't as confident still. You're still like learning to, to navigate through this idea that, you know, you're on your own. You know, I was, I was living on campus, so you're not 100% independent. You know, you're going to classes, you're, you're with your friends. So I still, you know, I was still sheltered in a way. You know, I was away, but I was sheltered. And so it wasn't, it was challenging. That's when you start, you know, you have your first phases of being homesick, you know, and you're like, oh man, I really miss my, you know, you might, you know, have a couple of drinks and then you end up texting your, your brothers and sisters that you love them, you know. The experience that impacted me the most was when I moved to Spain. And we'll, we'll get into that conversation, I'm sure, but being in New York, I was so close to home. You know, it was, they were still within reach to some degree. Whether it's a phone call, whether it was like a trip back home, I knew that I could, I could always go back home. And so having that, you're still, you're still a kid. You're still messing around, you know? Yeah. Well, let's unpack Spain. When did you move to Spain? Uh, it was after the first year of being, uh, being in school. So part of the, the culinary program, you have to, after your first year, you have to go and do an internship for six months. And, you know, when I was doing my research, trying to figure out, you know, where, where I wanted to invest most of my time for these next six months, I, you know, I was like, okay, where are the best chefs in the world coming out of right now? Uh, who's influencing our industry right now? You know, this was back in, in 2010, 2011, and it was Spain. You know, Spain was, uh, Spain had like the most uh, three Michelin star restaurants in the world, the best chefs of, the world were coming out of Spain. And so I was like, that's where I need to go. I need to go where the best are. So I started doing some research. Uh, I sent out a couple letters. And I got a response from, his name is Chef Inigo Lavado. And he had a restaurant called after him. It was called Inigo Lavado. And it was right in Irún. Irún is a small town right on the border between France and Spain. It's in the Basque region. They they have their own uh, their own dialect. It's uh, Euskera. It's if you walk around, it sounds like Italian, French, and Spanish combined. Very interesting language. Uh, they have their own, you know, very they're very you know proud people. You know, being from this region, great food, phenomenal. So prior to leaving, I was working. You know, I was working, going to school, saving up money because I wasn't going to. This was a non-paid internship. I was like working, saving my money because I knew that I was going to be out there. They were going to pay for my housing. That was a part of the deal. They paid for my housing and then I'd have some meals at the restaurant in exchange to work, you know, six uh, to seven days a week at their, you know, at their establishment. When I, you know, I flew out there and I remember the, the chef's mom picked me up. I was 18 at the time and I was turning 19 when I was over there. I was waiting for her to pick me up. The, you know, the chef's mom, 
at the airport. And that's when I realized, like, I am completely alone. Now my family was not as accessible through a phone call or through, you know, a trip because different time zones. So I couldn't just call them whenever I wanted to. You know, I had to make sure that back in Milwaukee, it was within, you know, the day so I can give them a call. But I definitely remember feeling, you know, anxiety waiting there to get picked up because I realized my family was not as accessible. It was a great experience, you know, best experience of my life. It was like the first phase. Like, it was like phase two of, you know, Jesus becoming, you know, the, the man that he is now, right? Or, you know, it was like the second phase of Jesus just being more responsible. Is that what you would say that you learned through your trip in Spain was to be more responsible? Or what did you discover about yourself? Not responsible. It was just confidence, I'd say. It's just confidence. Confidence. You know, confidence in your in. And what it is that you have going in your head, like just confident in your ideas, confident in what you want to do. Could you give me an example of a time where you realized, you know what, I'm confident in my ideas now? Well, how about this? It's more about that showed me that I could be completely afraid of something and put myself through it. You know, like that, that's the, like the, that's the value. That's the return of, you know, the six months that I worked there. Like, I came out knowing that if, if, if there's something that scares me completely, I can get through it. You know, I can put myself through it and come out winning. I don't know if I've shared this with you before, Jesus, but when I was 17, I moved to Texas. I went to go visit family and I liked it so much. And there were some things that were happening in Milwaukee that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay here. So I called my dad and I told him, I'm just going to stay here. And he's like, oye, mijo, y la escuela? Or like, what, what, what's up with school? I said, I already enrolled myself. Don't worry. Right. <laughs> so I just, and I stayed there. And I wasn't there for long. I was there for like less than a year. But the fact that I was in a culture that I wasn't part of, I dressed different. I spoke different. I was very quiet, very introverted. It challenged me in a way where every day, that I went to school every day, that I went to work every day, that I went out to this new world, I had a decision I had to make. And it was either to conform and blend in or to just be myself and dig my heels in more in being who I am and who I know to be. And so I never changed the way I looked. I never changed the way I spoke. I never changed the way I thought. And yet I was able to surround myself with some real wholesome people that respected me for that in the end. Not only that, but it kind of made me a popular kid in school, even though I didn't say a lot. It was because I I just didn't care what people thought. So I was kind of elusive, reclusive. So I understand what you mean about being confident. And I think that when someone moves away, such as yourself, such as myself, or anyone who's listening, who's thinking about moving away, I think that's one of the main challenges they're going to face They're going to have the option to either reinvent themselves if they're not happy with who they are, or they're going to stay who they are, even if they can't be relatable initially. But eventually, you find people, if that's what you need, if that's your cup of tea, to find friends, which I would like to ask you about. How long did it take... Yo, ladies and gentlemen, I'm interrupting this episode to give you a quick breather. (laughs) 
But, of course, there is something I want to share with you. Do you know how when you meet someone for coffee to catch up with them, it's natural to talk about books you've been reading, news or movements you've been following, or things you've been watching? All of those things make for good conversation. Don't you think so? Well, I'm glad you do, because this is exactly what my newsletter, Coffee Talk, is about. Coffee Talk is a free weekly email I send that tells you about stuff I think is worth reading, following, or watching. Now, I only include things that I believe will help you lead a fulfilling life. I'm talking about a life that reflects who you truly are or who you want to be. Sometimes I do throw in other things like the Netflix shows I've been binge watching, new things that I've bought that's made my life easier, (laughs) or little tips and tricks for everyday living. You can think of it as having a weekly conversation over a cup of coffee with yours truly. Now, if this is an email that you'd like to receive, then you can join Coffee Talk by visiting enemywithinyou.com. Again, that's enemywithinyou.com. I'm looking forward to seeing you in your inbox, and let's get back to the episode. I think you hit up on a really important topic. There's like certain experiences in your life can change you or, you know, just make you more confident as to who you are. I think what people need to realize is that part of your journey, you're going to have to make some sacrifices and there will be a period of time where it's not going to be easy. And, you know, moving to Spain, like it wasn't easy. You know, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. You know, I was, I had a job, I had a roof over my head, but I guess the, it was challenging. You know, it, it was six months of hard work. It was six months of, yeah, missing your family. Six months of long days. But through that process, you then, that helped me understand the why. Like why, a lot of whys were answered. You know, like I, it just, it ingrained, okay, I understand. But this is going to make me a better person because now I have empathy towards, you know, what's going on in my life, right? So for example... This entire process of being away in Spain, it put me in a spot where I could relate to my father, you know, and understanding his journey uh, coming to America and understanding what his want is for, for his kids. So I, I, I was an immigrant in Spain. There was this language, you know, luckily I spoke Spanish, but, you know, Euskera was being spoken in a lot of these places. I didn't have any family. And I was working. I was here to do one thing, to work and to gain the experience. And so I was able to relate to my father and understand like, man, he was in this, he was in this position when he was, you know, at a young age. And so understanding some of the challenges that he faced, I was going through that, you know, the loneliness of being away from home, the fatigue, the wanting to, to learn, to, to progress. And so, you know, that was, that was beautiful. I mean, that, it's, it was so valuable. And so being able to, to bring that experience back and just, man, I mean, there's so many, so many other layers, you know, and so many other things that you can uh, implement that in. So. Well, I, I think that when I describe, because I interviewed you for Authentic Pivots and we're creating an episode around you as well. But one of the things that stood out to me as, as I learned your story was it made me reflect on me too in some ways, except I've always kind of been local to Milwaukee for most of my life. 
but we do have immigrant blood running through our veins. And I feel that we might have a slightly more advantage than most people who are third, fourth, fifth generation, where we're first generation United States Americans and moving away, immersing into a culture, building something, and then longing for home might be something that we gravitate to with a bittersweet feeling and a bittersweet notion. But yet we thrive probably more than the average person because of some experiences that we know about our parents, some of the things they shared with us, some of the things that they didn't, but maybe they did through other ways as far as discipline, upbringing, culture, and they're like subliminal messages that they give us that kind of really ready us for walking unknown territories. And just for me to just expand on this point really quick, the way I see it is you can explore foreign territories on multiple dimensions. For you, Jesus, you went to New York and you immersed yourself physically in another environment. But if someone is listening and they're about to take up a new job, the same principle applies because you're going to be immersed into another culture with people that you don't know, with systems and processes that an ecosystem that runs on a different in a different rhythm that you might be used to. But you will also have to gain your confidence. You will also have to decide what you're going to compromise about yourself and how firm you're going to stand in who you are and show up every day to try to make it work. I did want to add on to like you were mentioning about, you know, we're sometimes at an advantage being first generation. Um, and I, I do think that that's because the struggle is very present or the struggle is, uh, you know, it's, re- it's reminded or it's brought up in conversation. And we're in a society where social media does this really good of, you know, it does a really good job of, you know, sheltering or showing this facade that, you know, you don't need a, you don't need a, you don't need a struggle. You don't need a, you don't need a challenge. Everything's beautiful. You know, everything's perfect. And that's a, that's a huge disservice to, to society. You know, people need to understand you need to go through a discomfort in order to grow. So just wanted to add that piece as to, you know, yeah, as Latinos and as first generation, yeah, we, we might be an advantage because we know the struggle. And it's important that we pass it on, you know, generation after generation. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, I see a lot of Latinos, well, I'll just say Mexicans, because that's kind of the Latino population that I know here in Milwaukee. But a lot of the kids, man, they don't know the struggle. <laughs> they are sheltered to the point where, right. I mean, at least your, I mean, your parents had you selling bikes. You Talk know, the bars. I mean, the bars. My, my bad. You're, you're, yeah, your your parents had you selling chocolates to hustle for your bikes, right? My dad, when I got a job at thirteen and a half, I worked for uh, an Arab on Twenty Seventh and Greenfield. There's like a little corner store there, and so I would go there, and he would pay me under the table. My dad would get half of that money. He made me start paying rent straight away from 13, 14 years old. Yeah. And I remember hating it. Like, what? No, man. Like, 
But I mean, it learned, it taught me how to live on less money than I had. I mean, that I was making, that's one. Right. But then two, when I did go to Texas, for example, 17, I had money and I knew how to budget. I knew how to make a dollar stretch longer. And then when I moved, when I came back, I never moved in back with my dad, but I moved by myself and paying rent and paying bills was nothing to me. But you're right, though. I think that teaching kids how to struggle and how to be uncomfortable is a good is a good trait and it builds some grit that a lot of people I mean they they just need to learn how to deal with it I feel like like you said let's fast forward did you know that you were going to return to Milwaukee at some point or did you debate on moving somewhere else and making a home somewhere else no yeah I mean I always had in the, you know I always knew I was coming back home. That was the plan. You know, what I don't know is that will I stay in Milwaukee forever? I don't know. You know, that's something that I, I question, you know, a lot. But, you know, I, I wanted to come home because my, my family was here. And I think that if there's something I've learned is our culture does a really good job of ingraining family, you know, like the importance of family. And it doesn't matter. I don't know. It, family can't replace anything. It can't replace good weather. It can't replace, you know, a great salary. It can't replace, uh, you know, your dream job. Like it's, I don't know. Maybe it's a deep, you know. It's maybe it's a, you know, maybe it works against us as Latinos, you know. But I don't know. It's just family is everything to us. But maybe that's also an advantage. We just gotta be able to move our entire families with us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I'm not opposed to. So. Why? Family and family and friends. Let's just build a complex, you know? Hey, listen. No, you're right. I mean, I, I agree. I think I come from a family of five sisters, two brothers. So I got plenty of siblings. I don't have any kids, but I'm, I've always felt confident that the day I do have kids, I have a legion, an army of women ready to babysit them and That's help right. me raise them. That is right. <laughs> I Absolutely. have a bunch of tias in line just ready. <laughs> So I like the way you put it. I feel like you said, if I'm hearing right, that you moved away and some of the things that you learned was how to be confident, how to be empathetic, which are two muscles that are crucial just for peace of mind in life in general. Not only that, but then you also almost became a a type of your dad and you start to learn which i like to think that in our minds as children the most powerful person right after god is usually our dad or mom and i can't help to think that as you started to relate to your dad and understand them more and go through the same motions and build the same muscles that you realize about your dad having to do when he came to the states you also felt empowered. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You grew into that. And so then you moved back here to Milwaukee. Where's your, where's your mindset? I mean, listen, after, after, after Spain, you know, I go back to New York. You know, I still have three years of school. I graduate, move to New York City. I'm there for three more years. You know, and those three years also is just like a, 
I always say that was my, you know, that was my master's program. You know, kids, you know, after grad school, they go into their master's and they're doing that for two years. In my career, my master's program was working inside of New York City. And that was a beast of its own. And that was, talk about empowering, like an empowering experience was being able to just develop uh, professionally in my career within, you know, inside of New York City. You know, Jay-Z has a super like famous line. Like he's like, if you can make it in New York City, you can make it anywhere, right? And so I kind of like proved to myself that I can hang. I can hang in New York in my career and be successful. And so now I have, I'm mapping out my, my future. Do I see myself being in New York for another 10 years, starting a business, or do I want to, you know, kind of plant my seed in Milwaukee? And once again, you know, it's like that, that cloud over your head and it's like, what's the most important thing to me? And, you know, it was like family over money. So I came back home, you know, I, my brother and I, my brother was living with me uh, for a year in New York City. He was actually doing, getting his master's at NYU. And we drove back home. We drove, we got a U-Haul. It was a horrible drive. It was such a long drive. Uh, but yeah, I, I came home. You know, I told my parents what the plan was. Initially, they were like, you know, why are you leaving your job? You have a good job. You know, can't you do both? And I was like, listen, if I, I want to commit 100%. And so if that means leaving, you know, this job that I have, uh, you know, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to make that sacrifice to fully commit. And like, you know, coming, coming to Milwaukee, it was just like taking all those experiences of New York, Spain, you know, take, you know, understanding that concept of coming to a place with a purpose and with the work ethic, similar to my father, but just having the confidence to then really build on your vision. Yeah. So you have, how many businesses do you have right now? So I started with uh, Masorca Tacos. Uh, I'm the co-owner of Zocalo Food Park, which is a food truck park here in Milwaukee. Uh, pretty much what we do is we, we, we've created a platform for food entrepreneurs uh, to connect, to collaborate, and share their food with their guests. And uh, I run a a commissary, a commissary kitchen for uh, food entrepreneurs. Uh, I've uh, I've invested in Cashdrop, which is a it's a mobile platform to help uh, any entrepreneur to connect with customers and help them make that transaction uh, happen. How long has it been since you returned to Milwaukee? I moved back in 2017. Oh, so you're four years only. Look at you, man. You're running like, <laughs> whoa, man. You, you got to work, <laughs> boy. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you, man, it's that, it's that immigrant uh, mindset, you know? It's, <laughs> right. it's, I have that mindset of my father when he first came to this country, you know? But, you know, I just I have more tools in the toolbox. So what's next for you? What, where do you see yourself in the next five years? You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm going to turn 30 uh, this year, and you know, it's I've I've had some uh, anxiety about it because it's you know wh- what I'm gonna de- what am I gonna devote myself to for the next ten years, right? What am I gonna devote my thirties to? You know, my twenties was you know it's like the coming of age, right? Like become confident, uh, 
you, you learn, you make mistakes, uh, you, you kind of put in practice some of your, your ideologies, what are your 30s going to be? What are they going to look like? And so, you know, I think the best thing to do is always, you know, educate yourself, is be curious, ask questions. Uh, if you don't know, if you don't know something, say you don't know it, right? Uh, but be willing to learn and, uh, to kind of like implement new ideas. So for this last year, I've been enrolled uh, in this program called the Acre Program. And, you know, they've done a really good job of getting uh, minorities involved with uh, commercial real estate. And something that's something I would definitely want to explore is how can we improve our communities? Being... Uh, I think there's a lot of value. No one's gonna, no one, we, we cannot, as a community, right, as, as Latinos, we cannot wait for people to come into our neighborhoods and improve them for us. That's not gonna happen. And so we have, you know, I think we have the resources and we have the ability to take on that, that responsibility. Something I really wanna explore is how can we create the neighborhoods? How can we build the homes that you and I want to live in? You know, I, I grew up on 17th and Scott, but then we had a move outside of, you know, the, the near south side of Milwaukee because it wasn't safe. And so I love being able to walk to El Rey. I love walking, you know, being able to walk to, you know, the corner store. So why do I need to move to other, you know, neighborhoods? Why not? Let's, let's build the homes you want to live in. Let's build the neighborhoods you want to live in. So looking for ways to do that, I think is like what I want to dedicate uh, my 30s to is how do we build the neighborhoods that you and I want to live in and where we want our children to live and raise their children? And then I'm talking about like physical like structures, like, you know, let's build the homes that make sense to us. Yeah, and that's a really good sentiment because, I mean, gentrification it has its ups and it's had pros and cons, but for the people living there, it's not a good deal. It can be, but it's not just the way integration happens there. Normally, people get priced out, they have to move away, and these are people who have built their home there for years upon years, sometimes even generations you know, introducing new businesses, introducing new structures for apartments that people who live there can't afford, but then everything gets raised up. It's it's tough. So I'm glad that you're working on that. <laughs> you need to talk to Emilio. <laughs> That's my brother, guys. Uh, my brother, he's also a Acre graduate from that same program Jesus is in, but he's he's on the same path. So I'm sure that you two can probably exchange some good ideas and, and get some projects going. Absolutely. The podcast is named The Enemy Within You. And something I like to ask the people who I interview on here is, in what subtle ways do you feel like people work against themselves? And how can they change it? Yeah, I mean, listen, The Enemy Within Me was a fear. You know, just, you know, the fear of not taking that first step to, you know, finding out how can I, how can I move away? How can I move away and be in an environment where I can learn? That was the enemy within me. But 
we chopped it up, we we fought it, and we won. You know, we're we're the, you know, we're the surviving warriors at the end. Like, you can beat it. You know, you can beat the enemy within you. You just got to take that first step. And with fear, just to kind of elaborate on that, what is a way, like a concrete way, you feel like people who are fearful of something? fearful of that first step what has to trigger in them to take that first step what is what has to trigger to them in in the context of even moving away or something like that dude honestly i mean the person that finds out how to how to like solve that it will become a millionaire like if you can give someone the pill and be like hey listen you take this and it'll allow you to to take that first you know it removes fear it's different for everyone man it's time i guess you know, you just got to be patient. You got to be patient. Uh, people have different triggers. But knowing, knowing what that trigger is for you. So let's say like you're in it and let's say you have 10 triggers that have had passed by and you're still in that situation. It's like, well, listen, stop missing those triggers. Like, listen to yourself. You know, don't, don't be so dishonest to yourself. You know? Like, you know you've had all these triggers in front of you, and you're still not making the move. Like, my man, who's, who's going to do it for you? You know? <laughs> right. Well, all right, Jesus, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This conversation was great. How can people read more about you or get a hold of you if you're even open to that? Where should people find you? Yeah, listen, I love I love uh, great conversations. I love uh, taking walks and having a great conversation or having a, a coffee. I don't really drink coffee, but teas, you know, caffeine, uh, it gets me going. But, you know, come down to Socalo. Uh, we're on 6th six, uh, and Pierce in the heart of Walker's Point. That's here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, yeah, come down, you know, visit, say hi. If not, you guys can follow us on social media. I mean, we have an uh, Instagram for Zocalo Food Park, uh, which is Zocalo Food Park on Instagram, or Mazorka MKE. Well, thanks, my friend. Uh, it, again, pleasure speaking to you, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good, Luis. Thanks for the invite. It's always a pleasure to uh, you know to talk to you uh, and get some of your wisdom. But you know, I, I wish you the best. And if you're not listening to this podcast. You're missing out, so tune in. Well, what did you think of that interview with Jesus Gonzalez? You know, something that I've always been impressed by when it comes to Jesus' journey, his backstory, is how he instinctively knew that he had to leave everything that he was familiar with, his hometown, his family, his friends, in order to become who he wanted to be in life. Now, I'm almost sure that you probably felt like moving away before too. Maybe you thought that in doing so, you would be freer to evolve into someone better. Or maybe you're just tired of the BS you deal with wherever you live. But let me ask you this one question. How do you know when it's time to move away? How do you know that you're not just overreacting or being a drama queen or king? Is there a way to know when it's time to finally pick up your things and move away from everything you know, everything you're familiar with. Well, that's precisely what the next episode is about. Now, it won't be an interview with anyone. 
it'll be a good old solo episode with yours truly. So if you've ever had thoughts about moving away, or if you're currently pondering that same question, then make sure you check out the next episode. Now, on another note, if you found this episode useful in any way, then I'm going to ask you to go ahead and share it with someone you know. Share it with your cousin, share it with a colleague, share it with a friend, share it with anyone that you know would benefit from listening to a podcast like The Enemy Within You. Now, I ask you this because as you already know, this is the only way the podcast will grow. If we have more listeners, then the episodes can only get better. Also, if you haven't joined Coffee Talk, then what are you waiting for? If you're into personal development, which I know you are because you're listening to this kind of podcast, then go to enemywithinyou.com and join Coffee Talk so we can grow together. And so that's all I have for you today. Now, don't forget that all the links to everything we talked about or anything relevant in today's episode can be found within the episode notes. I'll talk to you soon. And as always, God bless. Go outside and get some sunshine. Thank you.